Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's readings come from Kings Mountain National Military Park. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please jump into the podcast app, leave a comment, leave a rating. It really helps out and helps me bring more episodes to you guys. The author of the book is George C. McKenzie. Hope you enjoy it and hopefully it makes you feel a little sleepy. Kings Mountain National Military Park, South Carolina by George C. McKenzie Historical Handbook Number 22 The publication is one of a series of handbooks describing the historical and archaeological areas in the National Park System administered by the National Park Service of the United States Department of the Interior. It is printed by the Government Printing Office and may be purchased from the Superintendent of Documents, Washington, D.C., 20402, price 55 cents. The Battle of Kings Mountain on October 7, 1780, was an overwhelming blow struck by American patriots against British forces engaged in the relentless southern campaign of the American Revolution. The military importance of this sharp engagement was described in strong and realistic terms by Sir Henry Clinton, then Commander-in-Chief of the British forces in North America. He spoke of the battle as an event which was immediately productive of the worst consequences to the King's affairs in South Carolina, and unhappily proved the first link of a chain of evils that followed each other in regular succession until they at last ended in the total loss of America. King's Mountain was a surprising action that halted the triumphant northward movement of Lorn Cornwallis, British commander in the south, who had undertaken to subdue that section in a final effort to end the revolution. Though far removed from the main course of the revolution, the hardy southern Appalachian frontiersmen rose quickly to their own defence at Kings Mountain and brought unexpected defeat to the Cornwallis's Tory invaders under March. Patrick Ferguson
With this great patriot victory came an immediate turn of events in the war in the South. Cornwallis abandoned his foothold in North Carolina and withdrew to a defensive position in Upper South Carolina to await reinforcement. His northward march was thus delayed until January 1781, giving Patriot forces an opportunity to organise a new offensive in the South. After Kings Mountain, there also came a sharp upturn of Patriot spirit in the southern Piedmont, which completely unnerved the Tory organisation in the region. This renewed Patriot resistance led eventually to the American victory at Yorktown in 1781. The engagement at Kings Mountain was not only a memorable example of the individual valour of the American frontier fighter, but also of the deadly effectiveness of his hunting rifle. The war in the South begins. At the outbreak of the American Revolution in 1775, the struggle between the American Patriots and British forces was fought mainly in the New England and Middle Atlantic colonies. The driving of the royal governors from North and South Carolina soon revealed to the British the importance of holding the southern provinces. Early in 1776, the British War Office sent a combined military and naval expedition to the coast of the Carolinas in an effort to restore the King's authority. Hopes of gaining a foothold in North Carolina were quickly shattered. Patriot militia decisively defeated the Loyalists of Cape Fear area on February 27th at the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge. Sir Henry Clinton, who had landed a small force near Wilmington, withdrew from the state. Clinton and the British fleet under Sir Peter Parker, then undertook the conquest of Charleston, SC. The successful defence of Fort Moultrie on Sullivan's Island at the entrance to Charleston Harbour closed with the American victory on June 28th. Thoroughly discouraged, the British expedition left the South and the first attempt to conquer it ended in failure. The Southern Campaign In 1778, the British again turned to the South in their final major campaign to end the American Revolution. Military failures in the North during 1777 to 1778 and a strong belief in the southern loyalist strength encouraged 
the British War Office to undertake a full-scale southern invasion in the autumn of 1778. The American-French alliance following the British defeat at Saratoga and the threat of French intervention also made it urgent for the British to move southward. They hoped to obtain food and recruits in the south and an effective base from which to attack the remaining Patriot armies in the east. A British military and naval expedition was also to assemble in the Chesapeake Bay and from that point aid the British forces in the south to crush Patriot resistance. This time the British were confident of success. They strongly doubted that the South, thinly populated and torn by sectional strife between Patriot and Loyalist groups, could unite and fight off the invader. Conquest of Georgia and South Carolina The ports of Savannah and Charleston were vitally needed to support the new invasion and the British set out first to capture them. At the direction of Sir Henry Clinton, the first British landing was made in Georgia and Savannah fell on December 29, 1778. By February 1779, Augusta and other key points in the state were captured and by summer the British dominated Georgia. Their first move against Charleston ended in failure in June 1779 but they successfully forestalled a combined French and American attempt to recapture Savannah in the fall of that year. The fortunes of war turned further against the Southern Patriots in 1780, returning to Charleston in the spring of 1780. Clinton besieged the city with overwhelming numbers and forced the surrender of General Benjamin Lincoln's American garrison on May 12th. The loss of this large, well-equipped army was a marked disaster for Patriot cause in the South and greatly strengthened the British position in South Carolina. Soon Clinton could depart for New York by sea, leaving Lord Cornwallis in command of a large British force which in a few months quickly occupied fortified points in much of the state. Believing South Carolina to be largely subdued, Cornwallis now began a northward march for the purpose of invading and overrunning North Carolina. His plans were upset temporarily 
by the advance of a new American army under the command of General Horatio Gates, the Patriot Victor at Saratoga. Appointed by Congress to succeed General Lincoln as American commander in the South, Gates had reached North Carolina in July. Moving southward to capture the important British post of Camden SC, he commanded an army composed of veteran Delaware and Maryland Continental troops and raw Virginia and North Carolina militia. In a surprise meeting for both forces near Camden on August 16, 1780, Gates's tired and disorganized army was crushingly defeated by Cornwallis. The last large organized American army in the South had been destroyed and the British more than ever before, appeared to be invincible. Their triumph at Camden opened the way for the resumption of Cornwallis's triumphant march and the invasion of North Carolina in September 1780. Whigs and Tories in 1780 the British victories at Charleston and Camden in the summer of 1780 increased the bitter strife between the Loyalists, Tories, and the Patriots, Whigs, in the South. Both groups had been active in partisan warfare since the invasion of Georgia in 1778. Cornwallis's march through South Carolina greatly encouraged the Tories. Many of them from the coastal and interior regions of the Carolinas now joined him as active recruits. Overawed by British force, other inhabitants of this area renewed their allegiance to the king or remained neutral to escape damage to themselves and their property. To counteract the loyalist movement, daring partisan leaders including Francis Marion, Thomas Sumter and Andrew Pickens now took the leadership in strengthening Whig resistance. Desperate and unexpected assaults by day and night upon the advancing British and their outposts quickly began throughout the lowlands and upcountry. While Cornwallis was gathering supporters by threats and force, or by allowing only loyalists to trade, the Whigs remained steadfast in their devotion to personal and political freedom. Soon, the merciless nature of the Tory attacks upon outlying Whig settlements and Whig guerrilla fighters so disgusted the neutral citizens of the region that many of them turned to the Whig cause. The seriousness 
of the day-to-day combat between Whig and Tory in the Carolinas is shown in a military report of the time. The animosity between the Whigs and Tories of this state renders their situation truly deplorable. There is not a day passes, but there are more or less who fall a sacrifice to this savage disposition. The Whigs seem determined to extirpate the Tories and the Tories and the Whigs. Some thousands have fallen in this way in this quarter, and the evil rages with more violence than ever. If a stop cannot be put to these massacres, the country will be depopulated in a few months more, as neither Whig nor Tory can live. The Southern Whigs included among their numbers both rich and poor. They were people placed principle above personal gain. They came or were descended from people who had come from Western Europe to America to escape religious and civil persecution and to find a new life where the dignity of the individual would be respected. Among these immigrants were numerous Scottish, Irish Presbyterians. They had settled first in the eastern sections of Pennsylvania and Virginia. Later, they migrated in considerable numbers to the interior of the Carolinas and present-day eastern Tennessee. As they cleared new land for settlement and established their churches, they enjoyed, for the first time, complete religious and civil liberty. Moreover, they believed in the family as the important unit in all human life and patterned their beliefs and their lives accordingly. The invasion of the South now threatened to destroy their democratic society. They also feared it would lead to the loss of their hard-won individual liberty and force them to give up their right to develop the frontier and its resources as they wished. The British threaten the Carolina frontier. When Cornwallis began his march from Charleston, Major Patrick Ferguson had been detached to lead a smaller Loyalist force into the western section of South Carolina. Ferguson was ordered to use the settlement of 96 as a base from which to organise Tory militia, subdue rebellious Whigs and re-establish British civil government in the upcountry. He was also to protect the western flank of Cornwallis's advancing army. 
one important stronghold in the Carolinas remained undisturbed by Cornwallis's victories and the Tory raids in the summer of 1780. This was the region of the foothills and the ranges of the Appalachian Mountains which stretched through northwestern South Carolina, western North Carolina, and into the present eastern Tennessee. Here the independent mountain yeomen, largely of Scottish-Irish descent, were establishing a new frontier and protecting their crude homes from the nearer threat of the border Indians. Their free pioneer life had existed without interference from the king's officials, and they were little concerned with the main course of the war on the seaboard. Rumours of Ferguson's activities in the upcountry brought forth a few adventurous mountain men in the summer of 1780. After fighting brief actions with Tories east of the mountains, these frontiersmen retired. Victory by such border fighters at the Battle of Musgrove's Mill on 18th of August 1780 caused some of the mountain leaders to fear that Ferguson would soon attempt to avenge this defeat. Ferguson did not immediately pursue the mountain men. With the news of Cornwallis's success at Camden, he also received urgent orders to search the upcountry for the Patriots under Colonel Thomas Sumter. This plan was interrupted by news of Musgrove's mill and by orders calling Ferguson to a meeting in Camden with Cornwallis. Here he was informed of the British commander's determination to invade North Carolina at Charlotte in September. Ferguson also learned that the principal cause of American loyalists was to be detailed from the post of 96 to join his Tory militia. Finally, he was directed to move with his strength force through Upper South Carolina and across the North Carolina border, crushing the remaining Patriots and rousing the backcountry Tories. His advance was intended to protect the rear and the western flank of Cornwallis's army, which reached Charlotte on September 26th. On September 7th, Ferguson pushed across the western North Carolina border. At Gilberttown, he issued his famed threat to the backcountry, which aroused the horde of mountain men who eventually brought disaster upon him at Kings Mountain. He expected at Gilberttown to surprise some of the mountain leaders who had retired there for safety after Musgrove's Hill. In August, however, 
they agreed to return to their homes across the mountains and raise a volunteer army to resist Ferguson's advance. And that concludes the readings from tonight's episode. If you're still listening, please feel free to listen to another episode from the podcast. I look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Good night.